0: Forward to what God's going to do. I'm Pastor Stan, discipleship pastor here. Already mentioned that Pastor Joel is away. Uh, he and his wife are ministering in the uh, in, in Cambodia, and we um, share our prayers. and We'll be delighted to hear what happens and and the, the reports that he has to give. I want to take care of a few things here. First of all, the candle is lit again this morning. Um, I didn't really know, and so I started looking into it. There were two ladies that received Christ at the prison ministry on Friday. And so we thank God for what's going on there. Thank you, prison workers uh, who, who go there faithfully and uh, the opportunities that you have there. Um, second of all, I want to give a challenge to you. Now, I get here really early on Sunday mornings. Partly because I have to, and partly because I like to be here and and not rushed and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes I get here before the gate's even unlocked, and I don't want you starting to come that early. But I do want to give a challenge. I'm going to call it the one bus challenge, okay? Now, I know that some of you drive here and some of you take the MTR, but most buses in Hong Kong operate on somewhere a 10, 12, 15, 20-minute cycle, where every 10 minutes, every 15 minutes, every 20 minutes, they're coming. And I happen to know that there's a lot of good things that go on here. We start the service at 1045. Um, Before that, we have a prayer time, the worship team's going, and by the way, that's a great time to just sit here and and, uh, see what... God's preparing your heart. There's also classes going on and all that kind of stuff. However, I realize that some people miss the beginning of the service and get here at varying times. So I want to give you a one-bus challenge. Try to get one bus earlier. Just one, Don't need to come on time. Just one bus earlier. And uh, see what happens if, if you start coming and... Uh, uh, allowing God to work in your heart that way. I um, want to encourage you to uh, be sure that you have a bulletin. There's a reason for that. In a minute, we're going to be getting into the message. And as part of that message, there's a there's a paper here that will be helpful for you to have. But also in the bulletin, there's a number of announcements and there's things that I really want to highlight. want to be sure that you're um, you have these things. There's a number of new announcements in there. So if you need a bulletin, raise your hand. Someone will put one in your in your hand. Find somebody near you. Um, but uh, we want to let you know that next Sunday, we're going to be having a potluck meal after the service. We're going to transform this place into a great banquet hall. And uh, we want you to be here as a part of that. Um, we're going to be honoring Doyle and Dory Uh, Their time with us and the ministry that they've had, Uh, but they're going to be going back to America um, and uh, to live there instead of this side of the the ocean. And so uh, this will be a time for you to minister to them. This is a time for you to bring some food in or get something locally and and bring it here because we want to share it and uh, eat together. The details are in there for the potluck. Something else is the annual general meeting. Uh, The reports are out for that. Uh, but be sure to note that uh, on March 31st we're having the the AGM um, after the service. So just be be reading that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read all of them for you, but but please take a look at the bulletin and see what's going on there. So we're in this series um, that Pastor Joel has titled "Answering Life's Greatest Question," and that's answering the question: Who do we say that Jesus is? And I'm really going to pause uh, from his messages. I'm gonna, he's going to come back and pick up where he left off. And so I was trying to seek the Lord for what He had to share in the message today that might be along this line, but um, is it, it, you know, it's not really part of His messages, but I just just wanted to share with you what, uh, what I feel that God's talking to me. And as I was thinking about this, who do you say that I am? I was thinking of the passage where Jesus said, I am the way. In John 14, uh, verses 5 and 6, actually that whole chapter is a fantastic chapter. And what I find in there is, is two verses. Jesus is trying to encourage His disciples because where this comes in the life of Jesus is just shortly before He goes to the cross. And Jesus is revealing to His disciples things about Himself, and He realizes that they need some encouragement. And so Jesus starts telling them about some things that are going to happen in the future and that Jesus is going to go and prepare a place for His disciples. And so then Thomas comes to Jesus in these verses And he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so in part of this understanding as to who Jesus is, we need to realize that Jesus is saying that he's the way to the Father. I want to back up just a little bit. Because if you want to look at this passage with somewhat of a skeptical, somewhat skeptical eyes, you could be saying questions, you could be saying things in response to what Jesus just said. I am the way, the exclusive way to the Father. You could come back with that and say, really? How do you have the authority to say those kinds of things? Are you really the only way to the Father? Are you really the only way to eternal life? I mean, don't all roads lead to God? Aren't there multiple ways to get to God the Father? And anyway, is the Bible a reliable source? It's an old book. It's been around for a long time. Don't we have something new? And you could go on and on and on with all kinds of questions. You may have some of these questions. I was actually shocked to read some statistics that are 10 years old from America. I don't know if they do research like this in Hong Kong. But I found out that in the general population in the United States, 70% of the people think that there are multiple ways to have eternal life. Okay? General population, 70%. If you narrow that down and you say, what do Christians believe? You take the general group of Christians, any any group that considers themselves in the, in the Christian realm... And you find statistics say that it's something like 65%. Okay. But the evangelicals, what do they believe? These evangelicals who are, who are more conservative, they rely on the Bible. We're at 56%. 56% of Americans 10 years ago of, of American evangelical Christians believe that there are multiple ways to have eternal life. And so I don't think that it's uncommon to ask the question when Jesus says, I am the way, to come back and say, really? Is that what He meant? Surely there's some misunderstanding here. Well... I need to confess something. I'm somewhat of a skeptic. My personality is such that I like asking questions. I want to dig deeper. I don't want to just have the surface to it. I already mentioned Doyle, um, but he has done some work with the staff here, going through some, some things having to do with personality. And he tells me that my personality is a C, if that means anything to you. And he gave us a printout on our personality, and it says that my personality tends to be skeptical. I want evidence to support my beliefs. That's an exact quote from the printout that he gave me. And For a long time, I have been skeptical. Now skeptical doesn't mean that I don't believe, it means that I want to look into what I believe. And as I look back to my own walk with coming to Christ, as a teenager when I came to Christ, I remember very specifically the night that had happened on a Saturday night in October, I was sitting on the floor. I'd been challenged by a pastor. I'd been challenged by a friend of mine who said, Stan, do you have any good reason why you don't want to become a Christian? And I thought, and I thought, you see, I had attended church nine months longer than what I am old. Figure that out, okay? I went to church in my mother's womb. I went to, I grew up in a family where we went to church, and I had heard everything. I'd heard the gospel. I am convinced that I knew the facts at least two years before I came to Christ, that I could have shared the facts with somebody and told them how to become a Christian. But I hadn't done anything in my own heart. And so that Saturday evening when this friend said to me, Stan, do you have any reason why you don't want to become a Christian? The thought started going through my mind. And I thought, I've I've heard this over and over and over again. I know it, I know it, but it just wasn't all settled in my mind. And so I made this little promise to myself that I will say yes to this friend. I will say, I want to receive Jesus. But at any point when I go through my walk with Christ, if I find that it's not true, I'm not going to keep following. I remember that from years ago. And I want to give the testimony here now that though my personality is skeptical, I have never left Jesus. I have found Him to be true. I have found Him someone trustworthy. And I'm more convinced now than ever before that Jesus is the way. But we have this skepticism. We have this tendency to want to ask questions and want to see how we make sense of all this. So when we have the, the, the idea that Jesus is saying, I am the way, What do we do with that? Well, let's look at some of these questions. What I want to do is I just want to explore some of these questions and say it's okay to talk about this. Because if you're in the perhaps more than 50% of the people here that have some of these questions, we're not helping if we don't talk about them. If we don't answer them, and you may have a friend, you may be solid in your belief about Jesus Christ, but you have a friend who needs to know some of these things. And so I just want to talk about some of it and bring the, bring the questions here to the forefront. One of the first things I want to say is, how do we look at a worldview or a religion? How do we choose one? There are lots of them out there in the world. You can't say that you don't have a worldview. You have some kind of understanding as to how things work in life, and how you, how you make sense of some of these things, and you, you, you have a worldview. Most religions have some kind of worldview. Even atheism has a worldview. They have some ideas as to how they, things work. And one of the things that I think happens a lot of times is we think that a worldview or a religion is like a restaurant. Okay, There's lots of them out there. I have no idea how many of them are here, just in in this area. Um, We have not visited all of them. Matter of fact, there's some that we want to go visit, and by the time we get there, they're closed and something else is in there. Some of them we've gone to, we like, and we want to go back, and it's gone and it's now something else. But we think of religion or worldview as a restaurant. You see, they're all the same. Now, I know they serve different kinds of food. It's different quality, different taste, different that kind of stuff. But what's the goal of going to the restaurant? The goal of going to the restaurant is to find something to eat so that I'm not hungry anymore. And since all restaurants do that, almost all, all restaurants do that, they're all the same, aren't they? Well, yes and no. You get your goal accomplished. And so, can we apply that kind of logic to worldviews? Are they all the same? I mean, if you look at religions, they have rituals, they have churches or temples, they have some kind of history, they have some mystery, they have sacred writings, they have traditions, they have gods. They look like they're the same. Robbie Zacharias, someone that we'll mention a couple times during this message, has made famous the saying, um, "Are religions fundamentally similar or fund, uh, all religions are fundamentally similar and superficially different?" That's the view that a lot of people have. It's the restaurant view. They're all the same. There's superficial differences like whether they, serve, they have silverware, they have chopsticks, what flavor of food they have, the quantity of food, the atmosphere. Those are some superficialities. But the fundamental thing of you get food, they're all the same. But if you listen to Ravi Zacharias, and I encourage you to do that, and you can hear him speak on these things at, at some length, He he believes, and I believe, that all religions are superficially similar and fundamentally different. Some of the superficial trappings that they have, the things that I mentioned, a building, rituals, history, temples, sacred writings. But when you dig into what's going on there, there's a fundamental difference. And only on the surface are they indeed similar. Similar. And so I challenge you to look into some of these and you can categorize them. Uh, You can categorize the religions. There, There are just dozens and dozens and dozens and hundreds and thousands of different kinds of religions. How can you look into all of them? You can look into the one that you're a part of. You can look into a few that you're questioning about. And you can find the truth in the Gospel. To say that all religions are fundamentally similar and superficially different would be would be like me would be like me adding hospitals to my restaurant analogy i mean after all hospitals serve food now sometimes they don't let you eat before your surgery and sometimes there's there's other things but i mean at the hospital you get food right so it must be just like your local restaurant out here now The purpose of them are so totally different that you can't categorize them into the same place. And so we look at some of these things that we have to talk about. And I want to put these things up here and a few of you are going to recognize these terms. Ravi Zacharias has narrowed it down to four categories that a worldview or or a religion needs to be looking at. What is our origin or where did we come from? What is the meaning to life? Do I have any significance to my life? If there's no meaning, how do I have significance? Morality, how do I know that something is right or wrong? I mean, I would dare say that Hitler and I have very different views of what was right and wrong. But why am I right? Why isn't he right? And then destiny. What happens after death? Your worldview, your religion, needs to answer these kinds of questions. And when you get a very different answer, can all religions be the same? Do they all lead to the same place? Or is there a way to discern among them? A worldview needs to answer these four questions. With integrity and coherence, the answers need to come up making sense, fitting together, not having gaps, and being a part of the worldview that we share. By the way, you can see from the bottom of the slide there that if you have questions about this, we have help for you. 9.30, room 404, show up. King is there ready to answer your questions and talk about these kinds of things. Um, there's good stuff going on. Um, and also I'd encourage you to, to listen to Robbie Zacharias talk on these things. There's a, a reference, a, there's a website for him in your handout paper. So the next question I want to look at is what is truth? First of all, is there even such a thing as truth or isn't truth subjective? Can I have a different view of truth than you? Can you have a different view of truth than than other people? What is truth? If I earnestly believe it, if I believe it with all my might, does that make it true? Oh, my life would have been easier in math class if that had been right. There's an interesting story that I heard actually Robbie Zacharias tell this in person remembered it almost verbatim even though it's been years since I've heard it I was able to google it and uh, get uh, make sure that I had things correct find the actual place that he was talking about he was at the Ohio State University and uh, this is the quote that I was able to pull off the Internet as he was talking about these things uh, as he was going to speak there. He says, I remember lecturing at Ohio State University, one of the largest universities in this country. I was minutes away from beginning my lecture, and my host was driving me past a new building called the Wexner Center for the Performing Arts. He said, this is America's first postmodern building. Ravi was startled for a moment, and he said, what's a postmodern building? And his guide, uh, his his person that was taking him to the lecture said, well, the architect said that he designed this building with no design in mind. Uh, I mean, do you you actually pay architects to do that? Um, And then the architect, uh, uh, when the architect was asked why, he said, well, life is capricious. Why should our buildings have any design and any meaning? So, he has pillars that have no purpose. He has stairs that go nowhere. He has a senseless building built, and somebody paid for it. And so Ravi said, so his argument was that life has no purpose and design. Why should the building have any purpose and design? You like the building? Kind of looks like a fort. You, I mean, you can see all, the, see all the, the, the pictures that are online. His guide said that that's correct. Life has no purpose or meaning. So why should the building? And Robbie said, now note, if you can ask the right question, Robbie said, did he do the same with the foundation? And all of a sudden, there was silence. Think of some of these buildings in Hong Kong. Some of these tall, tall buildings. And I look at the maps, and I see the amount of area of Hong Kong, Kowloon, that were, that's actually reclaimed land. I don't know why you call it reclaimed. It was, there was nothing there before. I mean, now it's land. Before it was the sea. The big, tall building down here in West Kowloon. Do you think there was purpose and design to that foundation? Or did they just build it any way they wanted? We have a pilot here this morning. Would you get into a plane that was designed without any purpose? Let's just make it look nice. I mean, people don't like sitting in those crowded seats. Let's just make the plane like five aisles wide. No, there's truth that guides certain things. Two plus two is four. And that means that every other number is not correct. Logic tells us something is true. Other things become false. As I've already said, I wish my teachers would have Appreciated that. Spelling was another area. They said there's only one way to spell those words. I love spell check now, but I went to school before spell check was invented. I found a quote a number of years ago, just actually a few years ago, that I wish I'd known then. And I could have simply said, I'm not so narrow minded that I have only one way to spell a word. truth is truth. And so with the concept of truth and the concept of worldview, we need to realize that if there is only one way, if Jesus is truly saying that there is only one way, then there are other ways that are not the way. So what do we do with Jesus? We could reduce Jesus and say, well, He was a great moral teacher. He took people up on the mount and gave these sermons, talked to them about things, and He had a lot of good teachings to give. But could Jesus really be considered a great moral teacher if what He's teaching is wrong? Is He somebody that we want to follow if He's teaching wrong? And then we come to the quote by C.S. Lewis where he says that Jesus must either then be a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. You can't trust a great moral teacher who is either a liar or a lunatic. And so as we look at some of these questions, we need to keep asking and we need to say if there is a difference in worldviews and if truth is true, And what do we do with Jesus' statement that He is the way, the truth, and the life? Well, another question, and by the way, these questions, I'm only addressing them superficially. There are entire books written on each one of these questions and dozens more. And so I'd encourage you to to, um, look at some of those things. I want to raise the issues here. I want to have you thinking about them. I want you to know that people have investigated these things. And just because I don't know the answer or you don't know the answer doesn't mean that there is no coherent worldview purpose to what God is doing. And so what we could do is we could look at the question, is the Bible accurate? Maybe the Bible that we have has errors in it. Maybe there's problems with the way it was written. Maybe we don't have the original. And sometimes we get the idea that maybe the Bible was written by someone that played the game telephone, whisper down the lane, as, we're, as we think of as a child. I mean, it was written over a long period of time and there were... There were um, Uh, just records, and maybe there were were errors in how how it was recorded. And I'd encourage you to investigate that, and what you'll find is that we have an accurate copy of God's Word. If you just look at the New Testament, and by the way, uh, most of my comments here are, are going to be on the New Testament narrows the focus a little bit. We can't talk about all of it, but since Jesus confirms the Old Testament, I'm good with the Old Testament too. There were numerous eyewitness accounts of the event of Jesus' life, death, and crucifixion. We find that indeed the Gospels were not written hundreds of years after Jesus' death. In fact, they were probably written more like 20, 25, 30 years after Jesus' death. Now what happens... 20 to 25 years, we find that if there's something significant that was said and recorded, uh, in recorded in in a in a in a book record, someone is going to contest that because there's still eyewitnesses around. Yet 20, 25, 30 years after it, think about some of these things. What happened in our lives 20, 25, 30 years ago? And I started looking at that, and I started thinking about it, and you put the dates in here, and we have 1997, the return of Hong Kong to to China. That was just 22 years ago. That's about the time frame that we're talking about here. There's people in this room that I have talked to about what it was like 22 years ago. If something is recorded inaccurately as... And not not minor details, but major things. Like Jesus died and rose again. I mean, that's kind of like a major claim of the Bible. If that is recorded incorrectly, there's still people around that can tell you about it. 30 years ago, this summer, May, June, recognizes 30 years ago in Tiananmen Square. there are people that try to rewrite history. The problem is there's still people around that live through it. I've recently read a couple biographies from people living through that. And even if you go back 75 years, World War II, the Holocaust, there's people trying to change that history. There's still a few survivors left. And so if you're going to say that these things are inaccurate, then you need to be asking the question, how what do we do with the fact that the disciples were still alive? There were many other people alive. There are secular historians that were alive that could have easily corrected the record. But they did not. Something else we have is we, we have multiple copies of very early editions of the Gospels, of the, of the New Testament writings. And in one way, it would be nice to say, well, here's the original. This is actually penned. By Mark, here it is, we have these, these, uh, these portions of it, but what would happen if we had the actual original? There are some other problems that you need to deal with. One, we might be worshiping that document instead of worshiping our God, and so you need to think about that. But what would happen if if I had multiple copies that were very early copies? Of the original document. And I gave one to this group, one to this group, one to this group, one to this group. And you all scattered off different places. And now I decide that I want to change the document. Guess what? I need to chase down all those copies and get them all changed. Why when you sign a contract for your property, are there two, three, four, five copies of it all made and signed? So that no one party can change the document on the sly. And so we actually have something that is more beautiful for us. We have You can, you can get these records, the, the, the early copies of the Bible, and you can trace them back. And if there are indeed errors in copies, you can go back and correct it from the other copies that are out there. But let's say we're really a skeptic. We're not going to trust the Bible at all. That's just a religious book. There's a dozen, 13 writers, somewhere like that, of the New Testament. I'm not going to trust that. Do you realize that there are at least 10 non-Christian sources in history that talk about Jesus? And you say, 10? That's not very many. 10 other than the Bible. Well, that's not very many well, let's try to find some other significant figure from the same era as when Jesus was here. Like the Roman Caesar. That should be somebody big enough that would have some writings about him. Tiberius Caesar. There are nine historical records about him. Are you going to believe that he existed? Are you going to believe those sources? I mean, there's one less than Jesus, even if you take the Bible out of it. So what do you do with history when you find these things mentioned? Of the ten sources that mention Jesus, not including, not including the Bible, if you summarize what's, what is, uh, is found out in those sources, we find out that Jesus lived during the time of, T- of Tiberius Caesar. He, was a vic- he had a victorious life. He was a wonder worker. He had a brother named James. He claimed to be the Messiah. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified on the eve of the Jewish Passover. There was darkness and an earthquake that occurred when he died. His disciples believed that he rose from the dead. His disciples were willing to die for their belief. Christianity spread rapidly throughout the Roman Empire. And his disciples denied the Romans God and worshipped Jesus as God. All that comes from secular sources. not I mean, it's in the Bible. But you could take these other sources and find those things out. So we need to move on. Just look at some of these questions. Maybe we have a mistaken interpretation of what Jesus really meant. Did He really mean that He is the only way Maybe we're taking this out of context. I mean, you can look at that passage and, and, and read it and, and say that He is the, a way, but not the only way. Well, what did Jesus mean? You can look other places and find out what Jesus had to say. Did Jesus indeed believe that He was the way to the Messiah? And I have a number of scriptures there. I'm not going to go through them all. But we have a number of scriptures there where Jesus indeed believed and taught That He is the way. And in fact, His very statement of I am the way, if we realize that from its context, we realize that the very words I am means God. And He's using that to demonstrate who He is. Five times in the book of John, He makes the I am statement that is the same as the I am statement from Exodus when God told Moses who he was. He said, I am that I am. So the very statement of I am is he's connecting himself with God. We can see what the apostles believed. Did these people that that originally heard from him, do they believe that he is the only way? And if you just look at the first reference that's up there, Acts 4.12, the apostles said, salvation is found in no one else. And you can look and you can see what did the people who were antagonistic to Jesus believe. The people who didn't want Him saying these things. The very reason that Jesus was crucified was because He made these statements. That He is God. And that He is the way to God. And so... You can look at these questions, you can look at all kinds of other questions, but we need to realize that the skeptic actually has some problems too. Because it's easy to throw stones at something, it's easy to criticize, but you have to come up with answers yourself. So if you're going to say that the Bible is not a reliable source, the Bible isn't something that we can trust, then anything that has equal or less substantiation in history, you also can't use. How do you go back through a country like China that has such a long history if you're not going to trust those sources? Where do you come up with ideas for where did, what's our origin, what's our meaning, what's our morality, what's our destiny? You have those questions too. and So I just want to say it's okay to ask these questions. It's okay to be looking. It's okay to see where we are. Let, them drive, let these questions drive you to the God who wants to be known by us. He's not hiding. The Bible is His effort to have us get to know Him. I want to go back to Thomas. Let's go back to Thomas again here. Thomas is interesting. And when I started realizing that it was Thomas that, that asked the question of Jesus, it started putting a lot of things together. And so I looked and found that Thomas is mentioned 11 times in the Bible. Not a lot. He's one of the disciples. Most of the times he's, where his name appears, he's mentioned in a list of the disciples. A list of the disciples and Thomas. But there are two main times when he's not just a part of the list. One is here where we look in, in John chapter 14 the one that we just had, but we also find it in John chapter 20. This is perhaps one of the most famous times. Jesus has risen from the dead, but Thomas was not there. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Thomas is skeptic. He's probably a C personality. He's wanting more information. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hand into, into His side, I will not believe. He wants the information. What does Jesus do with that? What does Jesus do with the person who asked the questions? A week later, His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas said to them, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then He said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side where that deep wound was. And stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Jesus takes our doubts. And He turns them into belief. Investigate. But have an open mind. If, G, if it's true that Jesus is the Son of God, would you believe it? Were there things going on in your life that say, if I believe that, then this has to happen and I need to change, and so I'm not going there? I want to tell you a, friend, a story about a friend of mine. I'll call him Charlie. I met Charlie in America. He was a Chinese Ph.D. research student studying um, um, genetics, way out of my category. He and his wife came to America, and they started coming to a Bible study at our church that we had for international students. We had it basically for people that wanted to come and ask questions. And his wife very quickly came and understood the truth of the gospel, and she came to Christ, and it was just just phenomenal. But Charlie would say to me, "I just don't understand that. I've got questions. I have different things going on." And over the months, within about six or eight months, Charlie came to Christ. Then he moved out of out of our state. He actually moved to Ohio, where this, uh, where that Ohio State University is. It was a couple hours south of there is where he lived. Was continuing research in, in genetic research um, at the University of Cincinnati. And um, my wife and I felt really called to go and visit them. Now, it was a little bit out of the way, but we were going to my son's house, and we said that we're going to stop in and see you. Matter of fact, it was so much out of the way that we had to stay overnight with them. We're thinking, what are we going to do while we're there with them? It's been a while since we've seen him. And there's a museum in uh, just south of that city. It's the Creation Museum. I don't know if there's others in the world, but it's a museum dedicated to the to the creation of the world uh, from a biblical account. And one of our relatives had some free ticket had four free tickets to go to this museum, and uh, we figured, oh, we'll take them along if they want to go, we'll go. And so we mentioned it to, to Charlie and his wife. And, and And they wanted to go, so we spent the afternoon together with them at the museum, and they saw story after story depicted that we'd gone over in our Bible study, and they were so excited. And we came to this part that really looked way too technical for me. but there was a floor to ceiling display, and the ceiling was about this high, where they they modeled um, what would happen in genetics to your genes. If you followed the evolutionary theory or had a second display, if you followed creation. Keep in mind now, this is a PhD researcher, researcher in genetics. And I'm just going with him, you know, I'm being polite and staying with him, and, and I would have just gone right past this exhibit, but he's just fascinated as he's, as he's looking up and down. Looking up, he, he's there looking at these things. Then he said, well, that one won't work. That's how it had to happen. He's pointing at at this one here, the, the, the evolutionary way. And he said, if you get four to five generations out from this, the mutations will be so severe that the organism can no longer exist. God had taken his skepticism, his questions, and helped him see here the truth of what God's talking about. Get to know the God of the Bible. Get to know this Jesus. Jesus gives it as an invitation for who He is. Seek the truth. Find out who He is. Don't give up. Be relentless in your search. And I have a quote that I'm not going to share. It's it's in your paper there. But the unique claims of Jesus of who He is cannot be seen as arrogance or boasting by us. But we need to humbly say, Jesus is here for all the world. Salvation is not by what I do, but it's because of what Jesus did. So I ask you to take your questions. Don't stop asking them. But let them drive you to the truth. Come to the point where you have enough of the pieces put together That you can see what the whole picture is. Come to the place where you can understand who God is. I need to just wind things up here. And I want to leave you with the resources that are there. Because I'm sure that you have questions that, that we didn't have time to look at here. I encourage you to look at some of these things. First of all, man, King, I don't know how you're going to fit everybody in that room, but (laughs) people who have questions, if 50% of the people in this room have questions, I hope that you find some of them there. RZIM.org is Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. You can look there. There's all kinds of things. And an interesting book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. There's a a website there for you, or you can Google that or go to YouTube and look look at lectures. Um, Hours upon hours of these lectures. And then the quote that's in your, um, in your paper there, the entire article is found at the, at the fourth reference there for you. So I just invite you to come with your questions. If I can be of help, if someone else can be of help in answering these questions, please contact us. It's easy to contact anyone here, here at AIC. Our email address is our first name, Stan, S-T-A-N, at AIC.org.hk. Change the first name and you can get Doug or you can get Joel or you can get Dory. But ask us your questions. See what you have there. And uh, if we can be a part of this faith search, we want to be that way. So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you want to be known. You're not hiding from us. And Lord, you take someone like Thomas who has these questions and you receive him, putting your hand out for him to touch you. Lord, I believe that that hand is out for us too. With our questions, with our search. Lord, that we can find you and we can know that you are the way. And Lord, in response, then we can answer this of life's greatest questions. Who do we say that you are? Father, I ask for your blessing, for your direction in our lives. And as we sing this song, may we dedicate our hearts. May we seek you for what you have for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.